0: Good morning, Living Hope. Good to see everybody. You guys sound wonderful this morning. Great. I, I don't know. There's, it, just, it just does my heart good. To I mean, I love when I hear you know, the band up here leading. They're always so great. But uh, I get goosebumps when I hear you guys singing. And uh, it's just awesome to, to sing along with you. And, and that's so good. Before I get started, let me make one quick announcement. Um, on February 26th, with just two weeks from today, uh, we 're going to have a brief membership meeting after uh, serve after second service that day uh, where uh, the elders are excited uh, to present to you for your consideration um, our, our hopefully what we'll, who will be our our, our next full time discipleship pastor phil lockwood and uh, <clears throat> really excited about that really excited about that so um, so you can be begin praying about that and and, uh, and considering that. Uh, but two weeks from today, we'll uh, we'll uh, vote on that position, uh, and specifically on Phil fill, Phil fill filling that position, <laughs> and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, hopefully move forward with that. So uh, just keep that in mind. All right. So <clears throat> after a lot of uh, sidetracking uh, the last couple weeks with football Sunday and <laughs> question and answer Sunday and things like that, we're gonna, we're going to get back to our series that we started uh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, called Dumb Things Smart Christians Say. Well, before I dive in, let me just say, um, I'm not doing well today. I'm having trouble breathing. And so if you could just lift up a prayer for me that I can actually make it through this without passing out, that'd be wonderful. I'm supposed to be sucking on this. You're probably clicking in the microphone. Sorry. Um, So Dumb Things Smart Christians Say. So the whole purpose of this series is that we uh, would just look at some things that a lot of times these phrases kind of make their way into christian you know speak um and and sometimes we think that wow well, you know that the, these phrases are, are you know the word of god or whatever and oftentimes they're not in fact sometimes they can be a little bit uh destructive or even uh discouraging if you really start to dwell on these things you know and, and i'm talking about phrase i used the example a few weeks ago of uh you know we we all know that the bible says you know that cleanliness is next to godliness but the bible doesn't say that uh, I think it was Ben Franklin that actually said that, and so, uh, so. But the one I want to deal with today, uh, the dumb thing, and, and, and just keep in mind, I'm not calling any of you dumb, just the things that you say, okay? And and uh, and so, uh, no, the the dumb thing that we're going to deal with this morning is is this one. It's it's, and you've heard it. I've heard it so many times. It's that God never gives us more than we can handle. God never gives us more. Who here? Who here has heard somebody say that before? Who here would be brave enough to lift your hand and say, you've said that to someone else before? All right. Oh, good. I love the honesty in the room. That's great. So um, here's the thing about God never gives us more than we can handle, is that it's not true. It's, it's just simply not true. Uh, and, and where this phrase, I think, comes from is uh, this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians. <coughs> Excuse me. First Corinthians chapter ten, uh, Paul says this He says, Therefore let <coughs> sorry, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so the concept that Paul is trying to teach us is that whenever we feel tempted, God always provides a way of escape. There's always a way for us to say no to whatever temptation you know, you know, the enemy might throw at us. Uh, and I love that, that heed at the beginning of that passage where he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, if you think you're so strong, you're probably the most vulnerable among us. And you need to be careful about that because it's the pride was about, you know, the pride goes before a fall. And Paul is saying, you really need to be careful, but know this, whatever temptation comes your way, it will not ever be something that you, there's no possibility of you resisting that temptation. And so that's a really encouraging passage for us that are tempted. However, when life hits us hard and, Fast and uh, punches us in the gut and whips us up and down the block and leaves us breathless and makes us feel uh, completely miserable and completely hopeless. It's not very encouraging, oftentimes, to hear the words that God won't give you more than you can handle. Because, first of all, the Bible never says that. In fact, The Bible often says the opposite. In fact, the whole purpose of Jesus coming into the world is that life gave us more than we could handle. And so this concept that life won't give us more than we can handle is just horse crap. And so (laughs) we need to recognize that for what it is because, again, we don't try to do church around here in some sort of flowery, you know, uh, make-believe way. If you've lived life more than a few days, you know you've had days where, God, where life gave you more than you could handle, uh, where life came at you so hard. I can remember um, a time just a few years ago where I just felt my whole life just crushing in on me, and, and, it, and it came to a head one day. I remember sitting in the garage in my car, and I had one of those ugly cry moments that men aren't supposed to admit that they have. Just this moment in the car, alone in the garage, and just I just kept crying out to God, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And it just, I was overwhelmed. I was in a moment where life had definitely given me more than I can handle at that moment. That song we just sang, I'm so, I'm so glad uh, that the, the worship team sang that song. It's one of my favorite old hymns. It's, it's actually a modernization of an old hymn called It As Well. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, just a beautiful, beautiful hymn. And uh, the story, let me read you the story behind that hymn. I, was, I just looked it up while, um, while they were singing it. It was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. <coughs> Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and a businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. However, they were not strangers to tears and tragedy. Their young son died with pneumonia in 1871. And in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet God in his mercy and kindness allowed the business to flourish once more. Two years later on November 21st, 1873, the French, a French ocean liner was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. And among the passengers, Passengers were Mrs. Spafford and their four daughters. And although Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, he found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. He told his wife he would join her and the children in Europe a few days later. His plan was to take another ship. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, this ocean liner collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship, and suddenly all of those on board were in grave danger. Anna hurriedly brought her four children to the deck. She knelt there with Annie, Margaret Lee, Bessie, and Tanetta and prayed that God would spare them if that would be his will or to make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. Within approximately 12 minutes, that ocean liner slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including the four Spafford children. A sailor, Rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down, spotted a woman floating on a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled her into the boat, and they were picked up by another large vessel, which nine days later landed them in Cardiff, Wales. And from there, she wired her husband a message, which began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford Spafford later framed the telegram and placed it in his office. Another of the ship survivors, um, another pa- a pastor by the name of Pastor Weiss, later recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they've been taken from me. Someday I'll understand why. Mr. Spafford booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. And with the ship about four days out, the captain called Spafford to his cabin and told him they were passing over the place where his children went down. According to uh, Bertha Spafford, a daughter born after the tragedy, Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul while on this journey. And these are the words they wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. We can't pretend that in this Christian life, uh, we can't be overwhelmed because we can be. We can absolutely be overwhelmed. Um, We do not get spared from the uh, difficulties of life just because we said a quick prayer. Um, Life will hit us just as hard as it hits anybody else. The difference, well, the truth of the matter in in opposition to that that phrase, that dumb phrase, is that the truth is life is often unbearable. Life is often, uh, hits us in such a way that we don't know what to do. We don't know how to move forward. We feel overwhelmed by the stresses. We feel overwhelmed by the sorrow. We feel, I mean, I'm not saying that all of life is that way, but it's not uncommon for life to feel that way from time to time. And so us pretending like we serve some magic genie in the sky that's just going to make everything all better does not help anybody. It doesn't help anybody. And as, as well-meaning as your advice might be to someone by telling them, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, to someone who is currently experiencing more than they can handle. Those are really shallow words, really shallow words. However, God does not leave us hopeless in our despair. And that's the beautiful thing about when you go through life's hard times and you walk through that with your savior, as opposed to without, there's a difference. There's a difference that for someone who is walking in the Spirit, for someone who's walking with Christ, there tends to be a hope in that person's life life that other people just do not understand. Even in the midst of the worst possible news, there tends to be a hope there that baffles other people. Paul also wrote another letter to the church in Corinth that we call 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is actually all about this. It's all about what to do when life gives you more than you can handle. And um, I want to read a couple of passages. I'm going to keep it pretty short today because I don't want to die up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 and 7. Paul says this. He, he, he's, he's talking to them about... Um, recognizing that they're going through some hard times. This church in Corinth, he's writing to them. He's, rec- he's, he's letting them know he recognizes that they are going through hard times. He's trying to find some common ground with them. And he says this, he says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, <laughs> I just got a phone call. This is what happens when you use a fake, fake Bible. All right. If, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffer, the same uh, sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now here, before, this isn't even the main part I want to read about this passage because I just want to lay the groundwork for what Paul's saying because he does something really beautiful in that he reaches out, to a church in a different city, a bunch of believers, a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ that are far removed from him. And he links his joy to their joy and his suffering to their suffering. That is huge. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. But Then he goes on and he says this in verse eight, for we did not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Whenever the Bible used that word, uh, that phrase despairing of life, it basically means we wished we were dead. Like things got to the point so rough that we wished life would just be over. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I understand that that uh, not necessarily, I don't know that I've ever, I don't think I've ever been suicidal, but I have definitely been in a pl- place where I would have welcomed death. Where life was just so hard, I, I felt like death would be better than what was going on right now in my life. Despairing of your life, despairing of your life. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That is one of the most beautiful phrases you're going to hear all day long. That I was brought to the brink of death so that I would rely on the God who raises the dead. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. This is the thing about where Christian hope comes into play in the ups and downs of life. That we serve this savior who not only came and lived a perfect life, (coughs) taught us a lot of great lessons, gave us a, a, a life to model ours, ourself after, who not only loved us so much that he would die for us, but that he rose again. I think a lot of times we look at the resurrection as kind of God showing off, right? That it's, you know, it was like, it was just kind of the, the big ending, you know, or, or whatever, the, 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 the big, the grand finale, That, you know, just when you think it couldn't get any better, ta-da, I'm alive again, right? And the purpose of the resurrection is not to give us some sort of grand finale, although it was a grand finale. Uh, Or actually, if you read the Bible, it was actually a grand beginning. The purpose of the resurrection is to show all of us dead people that we don't have to stay dead. The purpose of the resurrection is to give us hope beyond the circumstances that we currently face. The purpose of the resurrection is to give us hope that there's more to this life than what we currently see, that there is hope beyond death. There's hope beyond death. Now, just a few chapters later, in chapter four of this same letter, Paul says these words, (coughs) but we have this treasure in jars of clay the jars of clay, he's talking about our bodies. These clay, you know, earthen vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, God puts all this power, all this glory, puts him, pours himself into these weak vessels that we call bodies to show that it's not us that's powerful, but that it's him. And then he says this, get this, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, here's the thing. This is so good. I don't want you to miss this. When he says that we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, what he's saying is all that junk that piles in on you that makes you feel like life isn't worth living, that, that makes you want to give up, that takes your breath away, that, you know, when life is just treating you like crud, all that kind of death that just hits you. The reason for that is so that the world can see Jesus. Now, don't miss this. We are. Oftentimes in our life, go through times so horrific, so disabling to us that you would look at, we would look at each other and go, that guy is suffering in the way that Jesus suffered. I mean, he's carrying the death of Christ with him. I mean, he is suffering for Christ. He's suffering in his life right now. And the reason we go through that suffering is so that in the same way that when the world looked at Jesus suffered, and bleed, and die. They then got to see him raise again. The reason the world has the privilege and opportunity to witness our suffering is so that they can also witness the resurrection in us. That your suffering is not about you. Your suffering is about this beautiful opportunity to point the world to a Savior who doesn't know the meaning of death. And then that last phrase, he says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Again, this beautiful, like symbiotic type of relationship that believers have with each other. That when I'm suffering, your life gives me life. When I feel life, my life gives your suffering the opportunity for resurrection. I think we oftentimes we miss, I, you know, just looking back on that time, I said a couple of years ago, I'm in my garage and I'm crying out to God. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I think in that moment, the answer, what to do was lean in. Not just lean into God, but lean into his church. Lean into all these other believers that are here for our benefit. I think that that is one of the... You know, a lot, a lot of times we we end our sermons with um, the Lord's Prayer, and is, and, we, and when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, is this revolutionary prayer, this model prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray. He taught us to pray, "Our Father, which who art in heaven." <coughs> the revolutionary part about that, I thought for years, was the fact that he taught us to address God in heaven, God on high, as Father—a very intimate relationship. Don't he's not he's not some you know, weird being that we can't relate to. Relate to him as Father. Relate to him as Father. And that was revolutionary at the time. I actually think the more revolutionary word, though, is the word right before that. It's our. He didn't teach you just to simply pray, Father. He taught you to join with others and pray, Our Father. That there is something about the oneness that we all experience together as a body of believers that is critical to you making it through in your faith. You cannot do it. When we say you, we need each other and that you can't do Christianity alone, those aren't just words. It is literally impossible. Any pipe dream you have that, you know, I just got this thing with God. It's just me and God, me and God. You know, I go to, you know, Bedside Baptist and, you know, whatever. <laughs> what, you cannot do that. You, it will not work. You know how come I know it will not work for you and God all by yourself to do this thing all by yourselves? You know how I know it won't work? Because I've never seen it work in neither of you. Ever. Ever. Watch somebody in this church start isolating themselves and start doing relationship with God just by themselves and watch them implode every single time. Every single time. We have to have each other. A couple verses later, Paul says this. I'm going to close with this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. (laughs) Here's the deal. Just a few chapters uh, earlier, it was an affliction so heavy that made him despair his life. And now he looks at it and he goes, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, uh, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. In other words, they're temporary. They move along. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, I don't know if you're, you know, C.S. Lewis has one of his most, more famous books. is a book called The Weight of Glory. And and so when I read that passage there in the middle of that paragraph for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I, I, I bunch those words together because I'm used to seeing them on the title of a book like that, The Weight of Glory, the, this eternal uh, weight of glory. And, and what I want, I want you to, if you can mentally kind of break that apart, I think that it suddenly makes more sense. When he's just referred to this light In other words, not heavy, momentary, it's going to pass away, affliction. It's light, it'll pass away. It's preparing us, though, for an eternal weight. It's not going to pass away, it's eternal, and it's heavy. An eternal weight of what? Of glory beyond all comparison. This light, the stuff that we experience here in this life that Paul can in hindsight, and a lot of, a lot of times us in hindsight can look back on it and go, what well, seemed so heavy at the time, even though I can look back on it and go, yeah, that was pretty heavy. In hindsight, I can go, in the grand scheme of things, if I can get above it with this kind of God's eye view and go, it's light, it's momentary, and it's there to prepare me for something so much heavier. Glory beyond all comparison. Glory beyond all comparison. So this is what I want to leave you with today. That God has given us Jesus to get us through the darkness. Whenever those dark times hit, and they will. Whenever those dark, God has given us Jesus to get us through the darkness. Now, when, I, when we talk about the darkness, I mean, it is Jesus. The whole purpose of Jesus coming is, was to lift us out of a darkness that we couldn't lift ourselves up out of. I'm not just talking about circumstances. I'm talking about the, the overall problem of evil and sin in this world, that Jesus helps us to rise above that and lifts us out. So he has given us Jesus to get us through the darkness, but don't miss this part, the next part. And he's given us each other to help us through our days. He's given us each other to help us through our days. When your days are rough, when they're downright tragic, when your life feels unbearable, when your grief over a loss of a career, a dream, a relationship, or whatever that's going on in your life, your health, when you begin to grieve that and it weighs so heavy on you, just these daily things that keep piling up and piling up and piling up. He's given you as an answer to those problems, the person sitting next to you. All of us, your purpose of being a part of, of this body of Christ, this thing what we call church, is not just for your own personal growth and your own personal improvement and your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are here for the person seated next to you. You're here for the person that's sitting in the back of the room that's just being quiet and hoping to get out quickly. You're here for the person who, who, who the, the weight is evident on their face and the person who's here that is, is really good at hiding it. We're here for each other. And for those of you who are currently experiencing that weight, for those of you who are currently experiencing those afflictions that make you despair your own life, know that you cannot do this alone. But the solution is sitting right next to you. Reach out to other brothers and sisters in Christ who will lift you up, who will encourage you, who will hear what you're going through, who will cry with you, who will celebrate with you, who will be there with you every step of the way. Because as we are there for each other, if we get to be Jesus. We get to be Jesus. Whatever you've Done into the least of these, you've done into me. Sometimes, whether we want want to admit it or not, sometimes you and I are the least of these. Sometimes we are. And if you're anything like me, you don't like admitting that. You don't like asking for help. You probably don't like burdening other people with your burdens. But what if all the time you're quietly one-on-one with God, crying out to God for a solution? I need help. I need deliverance. What if he has surrounded you with the deliverance that you are ignoring? I just want to challenge you to make a decision today. I'm going to stop doing this life alone. I'm actually going to experience the oneness in Christ because this is what I know. At the same time I'm weak, somebody in this room is super strong right now. They have every word that I need to hear right now. They have every bit of encouragement and every bit of faith that I lack right now. And when they're weak, chances are I'm the one that's gonna be strong at that time and I have what they need. So while God sent Jesus to lift us up out of the darkness, he sent you and I to each other to help us through our days. Let's rest in that. Let's rest in that. Let's know that, God is truly good when we say that he is good and that there is plan and there is purpose even behind our worst days. Let's just embrace him in that. Let's pray together. Pray with me this prayer from Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, God, you are so, so good, and um god when i when I, when I look at that story of uh, Horatio um, losing many of the people in his life that mattered to him most, and the the weight of affliction he must have felt in that time, to be able to pass over the spot where those little girls were lost to him and that the words that came to his mind were, were not anger, were not despair, but were instead, it is well with my soul. God, I have to admit, there are times I don't understand that kind of faith. And, uh, but I want to know it. I want to know that kind of faith. And so God, uh, when life hits us hard, Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. God, for those in the room right now who who walked in today uh, feeling that weight, that burden of affliction, for those that walked in the room today maybe despairing their own lives, um, God, would you just remind them right now how much you love them and that you have finished, that, that your work on the cross finished for once and for all the act of lifting them out of whatever darkness this world would could throw at them. And that the power that you've given us to sustain us through our day to day afflictions that come at us, that we can find that in each other. And so God help us to not approach this faith selfishly and consumeristically and uh, individualistically, but rather help us to approach this faith with each other in mind. God, would you work something up in me and in the rest of us in this room that whenever we start to feel hopeless, that somehow our natural re- reaction would be to reach out to the brothers and sisters around us who can remind us of the hope that we have in you whenever we begin to isolate ourselves because of our hard times, remind us that that path doesn't lead anywhere helpful. So thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for these uh, people that I call family that will help me in even even the darkest of times. Uh, I love you. I love you. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. So here's the deal. If you're new to church and, and um, you know, you're, you're, you're still trying to figure out what it looks like to, to get closer to God. And, you know, maybe that's something that's starting to become more attractive to you. Your next step is this act of just simply submitting yourself to God and saying, I've done this life on my own enough. I, I want to do it with you now. I'm going to do my best to serve you, to follow you. I, I want to give you permission to come into my life and make whatever changes you, you feel like is going to make me more like you. And, uh, and you just begin this process of, of following. The Bible calls it repentance. A lot of times we, we hear that word repent and we think it means telling God you're sorry. That absolutely has nothing to do with it. Repent just means I was walking this way. I changed my mind. Now I'm walking this way. That's what it looks like. So it means you saying, I'm going to start walking towards God instead of away from him. And the Bible says that when you make that decision, the next step is that you be baptized, that you align yourself with a body of believers, that you uh, allow yourself to, to make a personal, a public, I should say, proclamation that you have decided to follow Jesus. And we do that through baptism. We're going to do baptisms. We have a few next, next service and second service. We're going to have some next week as well. But if you, if that is you, if you're like, I'm ready to make this commitment, uh, then I just want to challenge you to let us know you're ready to be baptized and we can get you in next week and it'll be, it'll be great. We love baptisms around here. And so, um, so do that, make that decision. You can indicate that on a card that you want to be contacted about baptism and, and put one of those cards on the table on the way out the door. Talk to one of us and let, you know, one of the leaders here in the church and let us know that you're interested in that. And, uh, we'd be glad to help you through that process. All right. So that's it. That's it. Um, That's the service for today. And uh, thank you for bearing with me as I could barely breathe uh, and had no energy. You guys have a great week and uh, go get your kids. All right, bye.